Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Wednesday, April 22nd, we are studying Romans chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. St. Paul continues to tighten the noose around his hearers with his preaching of the law. But sinners will do as sinners do. We love to make excuses. We love to make objections in an attempt to get out of being painted into that corner. In today's text, St. Paul continues to answer those objections and excuses, particularly from the Jews, in order to proclaim clearly that all people are unrighteous apart from Christ. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Brady Finnern. Pastor Finnern serves at Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Pastor Finnern, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Good morning. Happy Easter. Christ is risen. Risen indeed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Pastor Fender, good to have you with us this morning to look at the first part of Romans chapter 3. We're in the middle of that part there in Romans where Paul is laying out this argument that all people are unrighteous. He's, he's answering objections. Give us some, some more context. Where have we been in Romans, the book as a whole? What's going to help us as we dig into this text today? Well, first of all, um, Romans is, is, is uh, Martin Luther talks about being the chief part of the New Testament because it's the purest of gospel. And at the same time, it's very uh, difficult books in certain sections. And when we come to chapter 3, um, it's after the Romans 1 where it talks about, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for the power of God um, for salvation to everyone who believes, um, showing us it's always that movement from God down to us and and really that's that's really the theme as you look throughout those first chapters actually the whole book but the first three chapters really is the thing that i'm going to focus on is um letting god be god god's faithfulness versus our faithfulness and so you see that play out in other parts of romans and in romans chapter two it's very much so um the pharisees looking at themselves not excuse me the jews looking at themselves and being like okay you know um I, I don't do that, at least, or looking at other people and saying, oh, you're doing this. Well, you know, I don't do that. At least I don't do it publicly. And we all have a tendency to do that in our lives is trying to justify ourselves. But that's really hot and heavy in the Roman church at this time is that the Jews are, are pointing everyone to the faults of everybody else, trying to justify themselves, look at their own righteousness. And, and Paul is really kind of snarky in these um, questions that are being thrown at him, and he fights back with what I would consider to be sarcasm, pointing them back in a wonderful way, back to Christ, back to his righteousness, back to his faithfulness, and all that he gives to us on account of Christ. Mm, that's a great introduction. Let, let God be God. Let him be judge. So let's go ahead and jump right in here to Romans chapter 3. Verses 1 through 8. Paul writes, Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar. As it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. By no means. For then how could God judge the world? But if through my lie God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come? as some people slanderously charge us with saying, their condemnation is just. That's our text for the morning, Romans chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Pastor Finner, the, the first verse there really picks up right where he left off in chapter 2. Paul, in, in chapter 2, made his case that both Gentiles and Jews alike are going to be judged justly 
according to the law. The Gentiles, because the work of the law is written on their hearts, and so God judges them according to that law. And the Jews particularly, because they had the law written down for them, they'll be judged according to the law. And and now, now Paul is going to take up some arguments, some objections that might come come at him based on what he said concerning about the Jews in this. And so the first question is, is what advantage has the Jew? What is the value of of circumcision? What's the what's the objection here that's being laid out against Paul? And in particular, if you take us a little bit into this matter of, of circumcision and the place that it had uh, among the Jews. Yeah, I mean, this goes back to the Old Testament, goes back to Abraham um, and the the uh, the work of circumcision, which was on the eighth day, the foreskin of a male would be cut off, and 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 really, um, that was a very important thing for a um, Israelite um, pe- people of faith of old, and it was a sign, not of just a sign to say, okay, we're going to do that because my grandpa did that and my great grandpa did that. It was always a, a sign of being part of the covenant with God. Um, it was a sign of faith. And and that's something that got passed on, and clearly is not something that is required now in the New Testament. But when you really have something that comes together when you have a group of people that did this, and they separated from faith, and all of a sudden um, faith becomes the thing that is part of the church. Faith in Christ is what saves you. And you have the Roman uh, Jewish people, and you have the Gentiles all in one place, and all of a sudden they're sitting there in church together, like, wait a second, that guy's not even circumcised. What's going on? They're not really part of this. And so then, uh, you know, they have this in other parts of Galatians and other epistles where um, you had this important thing, and you, you sympathize with these folks, because if you had an important tradition, all of a sudden no longer needs to be done, you're going to, kind of, your world is turned upside down. And Paul's really pointing them to saying, you know, what advantage is there to be a Jew? What advantage is, what value is there in circumcision? And he's pointing them back to the bare bones basics, which we all need to go back to, which is faith. It's not about, am I from a lineage? It's not about, have I done certain rituals? But it comes down to faith in the full sufficiency of Christ and his atonement on the cross for you. Um, And this is something that gets hit over and over and over and over again. And this is really why every year we celebrate Easter. So we go back to the very basics of our faith, which is always going back to Christ and what he's done for us. This matter of circumcision is something that that comes up in several letters of Paul, particularly the, the letter to Galatians stands out in this. And I mean, what's, what's the temptation? In, in something like circumcision, Pastor Fenner, what was the temptation that they were they were falling into, especially as this argument comes up? Well, I mean, the temptation um, that, well, the way I see it, and you can kind of move move us along here, Tim, is what we're looking at. The temptation is that um, that is what uh, that's what makes us faithful you know it becomes a ritual it becomes something that is no longer um uh, it separates you from christ if you know that like oh i got that i'm good i don't need to worry about this and um and that's something that we will say well i'm good i was i was circumcised so i'm good to go you know um or i know growing up in a, a pastor's home that there's times where you kind of laid your hope on that. Well, I grew up in a pastor's home. I'm good. You know, I, oh, I got confirmed. I'm good. So it becomes a, a, a ritual that is separated from what the point of the whole thing was, which was Christ. And, um, and then you lay your hope on something that really could be taken away at any moment, which is what, what happened here. And then you're like, well, wait, so what is my hope? What is my advantage? And where do I lay um, lay everything at the feet of in order to find uh, grace and assurance of who I am. Right, right. The circumcision could become something and had become something for, for some people just as an outward mark without that inner circumcision of the heart that Paul brought up there at the end of chapter 2. So so here, the, the question then, what advantage has the Jew? What is the value of circumcision? The idea here is, that, okay, Paul, You've said that that Gentiles and Jews are alike here under this condemnation of the law. Well, then what was 
What was the point? What, why did it matter so much to be a part of the people of Israel? And, and as Paul moves forward, how does he answer that question, Pastor Fenner? Yeah, so, you know, it's one of those um, times here where we're kind of like, well, what, what's the point? You know, if, if, if it seems like Paul's saying that all of these things from the past don't matter anymore, you know, it's like talking about history or something, and you're like, oh, that, that, that didn't really matter, this didn't really matter, or you could say something like, well, I grew up in a Christian home, um, like I said, I'm a pastor's kid, you know, and then you, now you're saying all it was was faith, you know, what was the point of all this? And so Paul pulls him back, and that's what I love about the book of Romans, is it can be very difficult, but also it's continually Paul pulling people back to be able to see the truth, um, to see the simplicity of things. And he pulls them back, and he doesn't say, it was all bad, you did everything wrong, here it is. But he pulls them back, and he says, what was the advantage? Well, much in every way, to begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. And the oracle is God's revelation in the scriptures. I mean, you hear that the language in the prophets of the Old Testament. Um, but really, he's saying that you have had the Word of God. I mean, this is the blessing of following the Israelites, of the Old Testament, following the, the when you read the Torah, when you when you read all of these things, and you, especially when you were looking at the prophecies of the coming Messiah, you knew from the beginning that there would be a Messiah to come. What a joy that is. And that's a, a true joy for us, too, that when you grow up in a Christian home, that you are reminded of God's grace, you're reminded of all those things. And to say that, you know, my hope is found in being in a Christian home, no, it, the hope is founded in the Word of God that's been given to you. And we pray that we're continually pointing back to the heart of it, which is clearly Christ and Him crucified. Because, as we know, when we have the Holy, when we have the Word of God, we have the Holy Spirit, which continually opens our eyes to see the glories and the excellencies of Christ who has given us all things. My, I'm reminded of the, the parable of the sower here, that, that the power is found, to use the example of the Christian home, the, the power is not found in, in the fact that, okay, my mom and dad are Christians, therefore I'm a Christian automatically. The, the power is there because in that Christian home, the Word of God is there. And wherever the Word of God is found, there the power of salvation is. As Paul has said at the very beginning of this letter, it is the gospel that is the power of salvation for all who believe. And so wherever that gospel is present, there people are going to be saved. And and is that an advantage? Of course it is. <laughs> that And that's the advantage that the, the people of Israel had in the Old Testament. Because as, as we have seen and will continue to see, particularly as Paul moves forward into the latter parts of chapter 3 and 4, what, what he's preaching in terms of the gospel, that this is a salvation by a gift, it's the righteousness of God given to you, this is what the people of God in the Old Testament always believed. They had that word the whole time. It wasn't some sort of magic formula that, uh, to use the, the, the Latin term from, from the confessions, you know, ex opere operata, that it just works by being done. It, it requires faith. But it creates faith. So it, the key is that this is where the Word is present. And, and Paul very much wants them to understand that great advantage that they've, they have had. The Word was there for them. Oh, absolutely. And, and that's something that we can hang our hat on, too. And it's, even, even now, with, with most churches not being able to meet, definitely not with many people, that when you do things like KFUO and what we're doing here, when, when you have a worship service that's only online or that you're only able to pray with people on the phone and you're able to do those kind of things that what we hang our head on this whole time, as you said so well at the beginning, is that the living and active Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword, is working in people's lives. And that's, and that's a theme, really, when you look at everything um, in these first eight verses is that he is continually pointing them back to the promises of God that we find in that word, and they've had it the whole time. And so there's definitely a, Paul has a, a goal and has a, a real love for these Roman people. Even though he's doing some snark, I would argue, he also, you can tell, is very much so concerned for their souls and pointing them back to the hope that they have in Christ.
That's yeah, and that's that's exactly where he's moving. So this the advantage of being a Jew, the value of circumcision, as Paul says at the beginning, is you've got the word of God and the term oracles of God, understanding that very broadly to include all that God has promised in the Old Testament concerning concerning the coming of the Savior. So this is this is the great advantage to be a, being a part of God's people is that is where the word of God is proclaimed. And then and then Paul continues. It seems that I mean, Pastor Fender, is the is he having is is it Paul sort of having a conversation with a with an implied reader here that that some he's kind of having a back and forth imagining or maybe maybe even going with actual objections that he had faced in his preaching to the Jews. The next objection is well, okay, Paul, some people were were unfaithful in the Old Testament. What what does that have to do with with all of this? Right. Yeah, he he definitely is dealing with um people asking well i would i would i would compare it to when you're teaching confirmation class you know there's continual retorts of but 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 what about this well what about this you know and then and then you, you throw out things you're like what is going on and he lovingly and caringly addresses these things and he talks about what if some were unfaithful does their faithfulness nullify the faithfulness of god and that's really the theme throughout is what is um, God's faithfulness compared to our own. And this is nothing new. Um, I was uh, looking through this, and you look at Stephen as he's standing before the Jews and the council, and, and he, he tells them, you stiff-necked people, um, you always resist the Holy Spirit. And, and the reality is, and you look at the Old Testament, and you look at, obviously, the New Testament, and you look through our own world today, that there's always people who do not believe. Um, they've heard the Word of God. They know the promises of Christ. But for whatever reason, they don't want to hear it. They have a hard heart for whatever reason. And, and he's basically asking, they're asking Paul, hey, um, some are unfaithful. Does that mean that God isn't faithful? And and his answer for that, um, once again, as we look at this whole thing, is let God be God. And and it also gets very personal because I think we all have dealt with or are, are have people that we love very dearly that do not believe and that are not faithful. And then we start questioning the faithfulness of God. You know, what is God doing? What's God? Um, hap- what's happening here? And as you said, the sower of the um, the parable of the sower that the word of God goes out. Sometimes it gets eaten up, sometimes it grows fast and it goes down, does all these things. And that's why he takes it away from all the outlying things, or he takes the eyes away from looking at, well, well, that doesn't work, so then therefore God doesn't work, and he points the eyes back to God and points them back to his faithfulness and to his love um, and pray that he is the one that will change hearts back to him. Even the the way that Paul phrases this question there in verse three, what if some were unfaithful? In that word, some, there's evidence of God's faithfulness already because not all of Israel was unfaithful. That's something I think sometimes we forget. We we tend to paint Israel, especially in the Old Testament, with a pretty broad brush that they were, you know, I mean, they just didn't get it. And and granted, as a as a whole, they didn't. But the Lord always preserved Himself a a faithful remnant, and, and so. It wasn't as if God's word was having no effect among the people of Israel. There always were people in Israel who believed the truth, who believed this very truth that Paul is proclaiming right here in Romans. There were always people that believed it. And the fact that some, the others, didn't believe it didn't change the faithfulness of God. Again, and and just to come back to the, the parable of the sower, it is the seed that has the power. That that's always true. The word of God always has the power. When that seed doesn't take root, or when it takes root and then it dies, that's not God's fault. That's the fault of of the one who is unfaithful. His faithfulness remains even when our unfaithfulness is there in in spades. We don't get to blame our unfaithfulness on him, I suppose. This, I mean, and some of this starts to deal into the, I mean, you, you know, you brought it up, Pastor Finner, and it starts to, to get into that mystery of, of why are some saved and not others. And, and as, as we refuse to answer that question in a way that maybe makes logical sense, so does, so does Paul here as well. 
Oh, absolutely. And and he and he answers it by really coming with a very strong wording here when he says, "By no means," you know, with exclamation point as we have in the ESV version. Uh, by no means. This is the same as Romans six later on when he's talking about, you know, should we uh, go on sinning so grace may abound more? Um, and it, it it really is us trying to add ourselves into the equation. Um, that if I look at myself, then I can determine God, or I can look at myself and I can determine God's actions or his grace and his love when he says, no, um, look to God. <laughs> Let God be God. I'll say it again. Um, by no means. Um, stop looking at yourself. Look back to God and know that it's his word that has the power to save. It's his righteousness and, and his grace that showers upon you. And And you really do need to proclaim that because so many times we get wound up and i think this is more true now than ever is that we wound up in our own situations our own um scenarios and we lose sight of and we look at our unfaithfulness or other people's and we lose sight of the important things like for example we can look at and say how come there's not more people watching me online or how come there's not more people in church and the whole time we're not remembering the people who are there who do believe and how the word is working and how God's grace is working in the world. So as as Paul begins to answer that question then, this by no means in verse four, he, he brings out a, a quotation here from Psalm fifty one. Take us into that break, Pastor that break. That quotation, Pastor Finner. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, this is getting close this to that is really time, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that's right, almost. Um, by no means let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written. And he goes right into Psalm 51, um, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. Now, I have to admit a little bit of <clears throat> frustration with this part of this text and read a number of commentaries or two different commentaries on it and still feel a little bit uh, frustrated by it. However, um, this is the famous Psalm 51. We confess it often. And it's written after David was lamenting his own sin. He had an affair with Bathsheba. He did a few other scandalous things. He gets addressed by Nathan and uh, with a great parable and story of its own. Um, and after all of that is when Nathan shows him the full forgiveness that God gives. And it's really a reminder for us here um, that we are justified um, by God, uh, not by our own actions, and justified in those things. And God will judge us. Okay? He judges us on our sin, and that's a reminder he has through here. You're not the judge. I am the judge. Let me be God. You're not. And at the same time, a reminder of how, as David um, was judged righteous by God, is that we know that God is faithful even when we are faithless. And this is what Paul tells Timothy in the second second letter to Timothy, chapter 2. And also that faithfulness is shown in that purge me with hyssop and I will be clean, wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Um, so just that reminder of how we're judged in our sin, but done judge faithful on account of Christ. Um, he's, he's pulling them back. And once again, if they're Jewish, they, they definitely know the story of David. They know the Bathsheba story and they know of forgiveness. And so he's really showing them that that assurance of, yes, you are judged, at the same time, you are judged righteous because of Christ, and pulling them back to that identity and away from circumcision and their identity as one of, of Abraham and pointing them right back to Jesus. I'm going to come back to that on the other side of the break, Pastor Fernand, this idea of, of being judged, and Paul saying, yeah, you are going to be judged, so let's make sure you're judged righteous on the, for the sake of Christ. Let's let's pick that up on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on Worldwide KFO. Looking at the first eight verses of Romans chapter 3. We're going to take a short break, but we'll be right back. Please stick around. Websites selling binary options claim they are low-cost, high-reward investments. What they don't tell you is that binary options are high-risk bets where the odds are stacked against you, that withdrawing money is often almost impossible, and the representatives will contact you with intense sales tactics or even threats. Protect yourself. Don't let anyone pressure you into making investments or quick decisions. Visit MissouriProtectsInvestors.com to learn more. 
Paid for by the Missouri Secretary of State's Investor Education and Protection Fund. Wednesday's Bible study on law and gospel analyzes a passage from Scripture emphasizing the benefits of believing Jesus Christ and your victory over sin, death, and the devil. We encourage listeners of Law & Gospel to join this Bible study at 9.30 a.m. Central Time each Wednesday. Listen to Law & Gospel weekday mornings beginning at 9.30 on KFUO. The idea that our creation is the result of a fluke, an accident, is ridiculous. A hundred thousand monkeys typing on a hundred thousand typewriters, even after a million years, would never produce the works of William Shakespeare. But they might produce several episodes of Wrestling with the Basics, Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. On air or on demand. A click away 24 hours a day at KFUO.org. Welcome back to Sharper Iron on this Wednesday, April 22nd. We are looking at Romans chapter 3, verses 1 through 8 with Pastor Brady Finnern. Pastor Finnern serves at Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Pastor Finnern, prior to the break, we'd begun to look at this quotation from Psalm 51 here in verse 4, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. And, and you were talking about how... God has to be judge. He's and this that's going to be a key thing going forward into this text. And and you've made that point very well already, where where God has to be God. Let's let God be God. And I, I think I think we're very afraid of God as judge. It seems to be, and I think in general we're afraid of of judgment. We got into this a little bit. It was two days ago with the first part of Romans chapter two. Where Paul talks about you know, when you judge, you you recognize that God is right to judge, and, and you hear in today's world, you can't judge me. These times, these types of things, it seems that we're afraid of judgment as sinners. But what Paul here is, is pulling us towards, and I think what what the whole of Scripture does is pull us toward. No, let God be the judge. Let Him judge you honestly. Confess who you are. And then you'll see the judgment that comes down in Christ, that's a judgment of innocent because of him, not because of you. Absolutely. And that's why I was um, reading the uh, Confessions and the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, and it talked about repentance. And one thing that struck me was when, when it speaks about repentance and it talks about judgment and so forth, is that it doesn't end with judgment and repentance on itself is that it always is contrition or repentance and faith that that you know kind of this uh, 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 law gospel um judgment and promise um type of thing and and for us to lose sight of that when we're talking about judgment the judgment is not just simply um going to end with okay you did wrong and and part part of our problem too is that we all know that we fall short, and that's what's that when you continue in chapter three, it really hits home on that, where there's no one who is righteous, no not one, and we all know that in our daily lives. I mean, I experience this now where you're you're kind of you're ending your day with, "Am I doing enough?" You know, and trying to figure out what is this life like virtual where you can't have contact with people and everything and you realize that there's something i know that i've done wrong and that you're with your kids at home and you're frustrated with with those kind of dynamics and you're frustrated maybe with people that you dearly love but yet you're short with them and then you are not doing what you should be doing we know of of uh that we deserve to be judged and then we're like okay now i'm gonna go in front of god and be judged no thank you i mean this is this is awful but once again, he points them back to that judgment not ending with judgment in the sense of our sinfulness, but it always ends um, in faith in the judgment of being judged righteous in Christ. Why? Because God gives all this righteousness that he could use to destroy us, but he uses us using it to give us his righteousness and fill us and pour his love into our hearts. 
Uh, not to get too far ahead of ourselves in the book of Romans, because Paul hasn't quite made that turn yet. He makes that turn in, in a few verses coming up in, chap in verse 21 of this same chapter. But I think already here, by quoting Psalm 51, he, in he invites his readers, he invites us to consider the turn that is coming. As you've brought out already, the, the account that, that's behind Psalm 51 is David's adultery with Bathsheba and then his subsequent murder of her husband Uriah. The prophet Nathan comes to him, and, and much like Paul in the book of Romans, paints him into a corner. Yeah, he, he tells that that story of the of the man who had tons of sheep and went and killed the, the little ewe pronounces the judgment on that man and then David turns it on him and says no you're you're the man and and David this is in my opinion is one of the most miraculous things in all of scripture is that David confesses I mean of all people to confess you've got the king he could do whatever he wants to the prophet he confesses and Psalm 51 is the is the the fruit of that that psalm of confession and the word that Nathan speaks in response is that word of absolution, that you are forgiven, you will not die. Of course, David doesn't die, his son does, ultimately pointing us forward to the son of David, Jesus Christ, who dies. So I think, again, Paul hasn't made that turn explicitly in the book of Romans at this point. But I think by bringing up Psalm 51 already, he he's tipping his hand a little bit. He's He's reminding them, where he's going, that thesis statement he laid out back in chapter one, it's the gospel that gives the righteousness of God. Oh, it's, it's so wonderful. I mean, I just, uh, I, you know, I've heard a statement um, a few years ago that really hits home is that the longer, the longer that we're in Christ is the more the gospel means and the more we realize how much we don't deserve it. And I think that's exactly what Paul's doing here, is that reality of the, the depth of the gospel by showing us the depth of our sin. And then from that, we realize how much we don't deserve any of it. But yet, by his grace, he gives it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's all a gift. So, so Paul, again here, let God be God. Quit, quit making these objections. That's, and that's where he's, he's going to go at the end of this section is is finally all of this is going to silence us. It's going to leave our mouths closed before God to let him be the judge so that he can judge with his justice, his justification that's found in Christ. So, but, but before he gets to that, he's still got a few objections here to answer. So now the move, it, it seems that Paul is changing objections here in verse 5. He says, if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? He, he asks several questions in a row. He says, I'm speaking in a human way. What, what's this objection that, that Paul is anticipating and he's going to answer? Yeah, I mean, there's all these rhetorical questions. So you do wonder, like, I, I think about this as what kind of phone calls did Paul get? You know, what kind of letters did he get? Were people, were they writing anonymous letters with this kind of stuff? Was this in Bible study, you know? Because um, it, it's totally like when I have a confirmation class and they're asking questions like, you know, how many angels can stand on a you know, head of a needle? Or I mean, they don't ask, confirmation kids don't ask that, but that's always the old one. And can God make a rock big enough to to carry himself. And that's really what they're doing. But this is more personal because they're asking about God's righteousness. And so if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what should we say? That God is unrighteous? So they're doing a philosophical move here by once again putting us into the equation. Um, uh, if, if I'm unfaithful, um, if I'm not righteous, and that's supposed to show God is righteousness, now wait a second, then God must not be righteous. Um, and it's, it's just a very bizarre um, way to think about it. And at the same time, um, uh, when we start looking at righteousness in ourselves and trying to say that reflects on God, then we lose sight of our relationship with him. Like I said, let God be God. God will be the judge of the world, judge of us, and let us always go back to that reality. And, you know, he really, be, he probably could have said once again here, by no means, um, but the reality is he's going to point us continually back by uh, back to, and actually does, excuse me, in verse 6, he does say by no means, 
point them back to his righteousness and not trying to put us into that equation. And we always try to do that. We put ourselves into the scenario when it's all grace from him alone. It's quite something. I, I like the way that you, you put it. This is another attempt of humanity, attempting to insert itself into this equation of being declared righteous. So, And, and it really is, it's a bizarre move to make. And I think that's why, why Paul, Paul says, I speak in a human way. He can't, it's almost like he can't believe that he's, he's addressing this. But the, <laughs> the way that we, so if I'm understanding it right, the way that we try to put ourselves back into the equation here, it works something like this. In our unrighteousness and in, in our sin, God shows himself to be righteous by, by his faithfulness, as Paul has laid out. So basically the, the question is, well, well, what's the problem? I'm doing my part, <laughs> and, and my part is being unrighteous so that God can be righteous Therefore, what's what's the big deal? I mean, it's it's a very bizarre move to make, at least in the way that Paul lays it out here. But it, it seems that it's it's very much related to the the way that Paul speaks later in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter six, a way that perhaps is a bit more familiar to us, and and maybe easier for us to understand. Paul Paul lays out the argument. Well, so should we keep on sinning, so that grace may abound? Sounds like we've got a pretty similar argument going on here. Right. It, it is a. Um, th- this part of Romans is, is quite fascinating. I think most of the time I'll skip to, like you said, verse 21. I'll do a little bit in verse 9, where you're saying, No one is good, no, not one. Like, okay, I got that. And then I'll go to 21. And, and these verses is quite fascinating because a lot of these arguments that are being made that Paul's addressing are ones that naturally kind of come into our hearts at various times. Um, and thankfully, the Holy Spirit kind of directs us in the right way. And one of them here is, in verse 7, is is the idea of, okay, so um, if my sin shows his glory, then why is God sinning? Why is God calling me a sinner? Why, why would he condemn me? I'm the one who's making God look good, you know? Um, look at me. And once again, you put yourself into the equation. It's like it's not fair that um, that if he's looking good and I'm the one who's making him look good through my sin, then hey, what's the problem? And it's just it's a fascinating move and one that um, uh, you know something that a child would do to their parent all the time. You know, like well, you know, if I if I uh, mess up and da da da, and I make you look good, mom and dad, because you're not messing up, and I am, then obviously, why are you mad at me? You know, kind of thing. <laughs> so, so it's just a bizarre way of thinking. And once again, we put ourselves in the forefront. You know, it's almost like uh, we'll put myself to filter through in order for people to see God. Well, no, let let Christ, let God be the one to filter through, so that we can be um, judged correctly in this world, as opposed to the other way around. And so it. You can kind of sense Paul's frustration in this whole thing um, because people keep asking questions and he has to go back to the very simple gospel over and over and over again. It, it really is. I mean, I, I, again, I, I'm really, I appreciate the way you've said it, that this is a way that we put ourselves back into the equation because ultimately that's that's going to be the thing that Paul is, is trying to exclude completely from this equation of salvation and righteousness, that the only way we are going to have righteousness is apart from ourselves. We are not a part of that equation at all. Righteous, the righteousness of God only is going to come to us through the gospel. And in whatever way we try to put ourselves back into that equation, we're going to mess it up. And, and this is one of those very, again, strange ways of doing it, but, but we do. <laughs> and maybe another way of thinking, it's like, you know, I, I get sick and I go to the doctor, and and I take credit somehow for the healing because I got sick in the first place. And the doctor wouldn't have been able to do anything for me if if I, if I hadn't gotten sick, right? Or, or I mean, and I've I've even used this as an example in in teaching before. And and sometimes I get a bit of pushback that you know when you go to the doctor and he he prescribes the the medicine, and and you take it and and you're healed. Well, what 
what saved you? What healed you? Well, I mean, the doctor did, the medicine did. And, and some people want to really focus on the fact, yeah, but you had to take the medicine. And if you hadn't taken the medicine, you, you wouldn't have been healed. And as, as if that somehow is, is a part of, and I mean, I think it's, it's just a, this really is, it's a bizarre way of doing it, but it's just another example of how we try to put ourselves back into the equation of, of earning righteousness before God. And Paul's going to shut this door. <laughs> yes, he does. Yes, he does. And, um, and it isn't, uh, clearly we're, we're, we're we're part of the equation in the sense of, of the receptive end of that, right. um, but it, it, it is something that um, that doesn't. Uh, our contribution to it is not where we're, we're going to have the assurance. You know, like oh, well, yeah, you took the medicine. Oh, how great are you? Like, no, let's just let's take the medicine and let it work. Um, but don't like sit there and glorify yourself. Give thanks for the medicine working kind of thing. Uh, same thing with the gospel. Same thing with God's grace. Um, that we 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 stand before our Lord and we give thanks as opposed to saying, "But you know, I did add this," <laughs> and I just can't imagine standing before the Lord and and us saying, "Well, you know, I did do this though." <laughs> it's just right. a crazy way to think, but it sneaks in and a reminder of why each day. Um, we ask the Lord uh, to forgive us our sins and where we've done wrong as we pray in Luther's evening prayer. Yeah, yeah. So as as Paul continues this, I mean, it seems that this line of thinking dominates verses 5 through 8 pretty pretty well. And I, I, in our conversation, I've kind of lost exactly what we've, what we've looked at. But you've got the by no means. His, his ultimate answer there in verse 6 goes back to what we've been saying all along. Let God be God. God has to be the judge. And if, you, if you're going to adopt this line of thinking that I'm unrighteous, that shows God's righteousness, therefore he can't judge me, all of a sudden you've taken God off of his throne. God, God's not God anymore if he's not the judge. Again, that, that seems to be a, a pretty key theme here. Maybe, as we said earlier, something that we're not terribly comfortable with, but that is, that's part of what it means for God to be God, is that he's the judge, and that means he's the judge of, of you. And even this attempt to evade that, it, it's not going to work. Right, right, yeah. And there's, there's small ways that we will take God off his throne. Um, and that's why you need a proclamation like, by no means, with an exclamation point. And, and it can be done in a way that is very grace-filled. So, for example, um, there's been a situation where somebody uh, had gone through a, a confession absolution um, situation and, you know, proclaimed that forgiveness of sins. And I remember I met, met them later, and they, they say, you know, but I still really feel guilty about X, you know, that they had confessed. And and that's a point where, pastorally and as Christians, that we have to be bold like Paul here. And we say, I'm sorry, I thought we, uh, I thought God, I thought that was buried in the grave with, with Jesus. I thought that was nailed to the cross with Jesus. I thought that was forgiven. Why are we bringing it up again? And I remember this individual basically said, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, so Paul is, is really... They're bringing up things that are not going to point you to truth. They're just going to point you to more questions. And, and those questions kind of keep coming, and that's why this is setting up the rest of the chapter where he's bringing up these rhetorical questions so he can bring out that full um, grace of God, that full understanding of who I am in front of God and who God is on account of Christ. Um, and that's what's wonderful about this, is it's full bore. He's setting the stage for the rest of the chapter for people to be able to see the fullness of the grace that he showers upon us every day. As he continues to do that, then into verses 7 and 8, again, it, it seems that he's he's doing more of this anticipating of, of arguments or even arguments that he's he's heard. I mean, if you think about Paul's ministry in the book of Acts, how often does he go into a synagogue, and, and the term that the book of Acts often uses is that he, he argues with them or he disputes with them. So it, it's, not, it's not too hard to imagine what Paul's writing here in Romans chapter 3 as 
conversation, maybe summarized and condensed, but a conversation that he's actually had in a synagogue already with with these with people, you know, Jews who said, well, Paul, look, you're telling me I'm condemned along with the Gentile. Why was it so important that I was a Jew? He, he answers that. Okay, Paul, well, well what about this? I, I mean, it's, it's like he's, he's recording for us a back and forth that he's actually had in some Jewish synagogue somewhere that, that he preached in. And, and that, that account then continues into, into verse 7. And, and it seems we're still talking along the, the same lines. Paul even says in verse 8, that, that some people slanderously charge us with saying these things. What What is this objection that's being laid out here in verses 7 and 8? How does it relate to what we've been talking about? Right. Um, you know, what we would look at is in verse 8 uh, specifically, why not do evil that good may come, as some people have called us to or said that we do. And this... The argument that I've, I've, I've read in the commentaries, and what I would say is that there's something of what we would call today to be antinomianism or gospel reductionism. Um, the accusation that basically you're saying that there is no more law. Like he was accusing Paul of saying there's no more law, that the, the Old Testament laws, they, don't, they no longer count. You know, that um, the Ten Commandments, throw them out. Just know that you're forgiven. Uh, don't worry about actually living a holy and, and as a living sacrifice, as we hear um, later on in Romans, uh, don't worry about any of those things. Just, just do what you do. Um, you'll be forgiven anyways. It's not a big deal. Um, and that's a continuous theme, actually, as I, I thought about this in Romans, where he's fighting this uh, anti-law or that gospel is only and there's no more law needed. And he's fighting that and saying, this is what you're saying but when I talk about God's faithfulness, you know, we may be faithless, but God is faithful. That is not a license to go and do whatever you want. You know, we're not in the business of not directing people in the right direction because we're called to love God and to love our neighbors. And so he's, he's doing that by no means language and saying we are not saying that. But with the with the overall message of what is that grace that covers all of us? Well, it's the grace of Jesus. Um, that don't get upset about forgiveness because forgiveness is where it's all at. Now go and live um, a life of freedom in the grace of God to live a holy life for the sake of glorifying God and to know all that God has given to us. As I said before, we live in that reality that the gospel um, means more as we age and as we're in it longer, and we realize that we don't deserve it, and therefore we live in freedom and, and, and love to the neighbor. It's interesting to see Paul bring this argument up right here. Before he's even gotten to the full proclamation of the gospel, that turn that he makes in verse 21, but I think it's an important move that, I mean, it's an important move, he's writing the Word of God here, that he makes, and I think, I think the connection here is, is if we take it back into, into verse, or excuse me, chapter 2, verse 12, where, where Paul talks about sinning, whether you sin with the law or without the law, that that sinning leads to death. And sin breaks stuff, right? Sin, sin leads to death. And if you sin at any time, before you've you've come to faith in Christ, after you've come to faith in Christ, that's bad. It's breaking stuff. It's it's going to hurt someone. And so to to hear the gospel, which again Paul's not exclusively laid out in its fullness yet. He's he's given us that thesis back in chapter one, but to but to hear the gospel and then use that as an excuse to go back into sin, the sin that broke stuff in the first place. It, you've you've totally missed the point, and, and I think that's that's how this fits into this conversation even before he's already laid out, hey, you're not saved by your works, you're saved by the grace of, of Jesus Christ alone. Pastor Fender, oh. we've got just under just just so you know, we've got under just under four minutes here to, to respond to that, kind of wrap things up for us this morning. Well thank you. Yeah. You know, and, and part of it is um, whenever there is the gospel proclaimed in its fullness, is that there's gonna be people who are going to try to find loopholes. And um, there was a sermon I, I gave a, a few years ago where I, the title of it, Watch Your Butts. And you got to be careful sometimes how you put a sermon title out there. But it was, uh, it, was a good, it was a good reminder of this, is that often we'll say, 
um, something, proclamation of something, and then you know the other shoe is going to drop when you say, but. And too often we do that with the gospel, is that we're proclaiming the gospel to summon the forgiveness of sins, and then right away we'll say, but. But what about this? But, 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 but. And we're so wound up and try to make sure that uh, we have covered all of our bases, is a lot of times we just don't let the pure gospel, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And that's why here he's setting the stage. He's really paving the way. It's like in the middle of Minnesota when you're, when you're making a path for people to drive, he's paving the way for them to be able to see the fullness of the gospel by taking away those arguments that they're having and showing them the pureness of it all. And, and it really comes back to um, that it is the blood of Jesus that saves you. Um, take yourself out of the equation, and it really comes back to the, to the great hymn um, that we have <laughs> uh, in our hymnal. And I was thinking about this all week as we look through this, is great is, great is thy faithfulness. Uh, morning by morning, every day, new mercies I see. All that I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. That is what the relationship is. He gives us these things, and we can ask tons and tons of questions. And at the very end, the answer is always yes in Christ. And uh, that, that's, our, that's our message today. We sing and, and have the glory of knowing great is our Lord's faithfulness on account of Christ. Pastor Brady Finnern is the pastor at Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota, helping us this morning with Romans chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Pastor Finnern, thank you for your time today. Thank you. God bless you. Let God be God. Quit trying to insert yourself into the equation. Quit, quit with these objections, with these excuses. What, what advantage has the Jew? What advantage has the, the Christian growing up in a Christian home? Yet the Word of God. The word of God that brings salvation, that gospel unto salvation. What, what a great advantage that is. But not, not a way that you can insert yourself into the situation. That's God's grace to you to deliver his salvation to you. Quit trying to put yourself into the equation. Your unrighteousness proves God's righteousness, and, and therefore somehow you play a part. No, no, not at all. Part is none at all. This is God's work. Let him be the judge. Confess your sins. And when you let God be the judge, you'll see that he justifies you. He judges you righteous, not because of what Christ has done for you. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.